I think that spirit, the Holy Spirit is the oneness that connects us all. And when we connect to the spirit, then everything else starts to make sense because it's just outside of us. It's like your journey is your journey. Someone else's journey is there, but we can connect. When we connect in love, when we connect in compassion and understanding, we're connecting on that spiritual level that connects us all. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to our show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have been podcasting for about three years now. And Lindsay and I started uh, when we first met and I was going through a transition with my body. I had just moved from New York Uh, I just moved from New York to LA and I was going through some hormonal body changes. I was going through some friendship changes and I felt like everything was really crazy. And Lindsay was going through her own transitions herself and we felt like we couldn't be the only ones. So when we started, we really just put ourselves on our closet floors and got some microphones and started to share really honestly about what was happening. And now, you know, we are a community of women and men all over the world, you know, that really just seek to provide each other with, to provide you guys who also provide us with insights, tools, resources to navigate any transition in your life. And it's been so incredibly healing. I think, you know, being in community is not something, I mean, I've always loved having friends, but I just didn't feel like, um, maybe my healing could happen within community. And it's been really beautiful to have that happen and, you know, pass that along to you all out there. Cause sometimes it could just feel really lonely if you're going through something life-changing. And so, you know, almost 30 nation, we have ambassadors all over the world and they're creating community where they are. And we've just heard from them you know, the intimate conversations that they have when they get together have just provided that extra support needed during some really vulnerable times in our lives. So we're here for you as always. And thank you for being there for us. Your support means the world. We have a few announcements before we get into the uh, interview and little catch up with Kay and I today, but So we recently announced our May retreat, May 2020 will be happening in Malibu at Calamigos Guest Ranch. We had a retreat there last year and it was just such a hit. hit. It was jam packed. We had had sound baths, astrology readings, Reiki healings, mini facials, makeup from beauty counter. We had um, breath work. What else? Workouts. We had a... special, special performance, which was really, really fun. We had beach days. Yeah. We, we relaxed by the pool. They had, um, many spa treatments. Did you say that? Yeah. So much fun. And it was a blast. They had the best, 
uh, goodie bag. Goodie bag is not the goodie bag does not describe what it was. Messed up. It was a goodie suitcase. It was. A, <laughs> I felt bad for the girls that traveled. They were like, I don't know what to do with all this. The mm-hmm. goodie bags were insane. <laughs> so the sponsors really show up for the retreat, but we just like to put really great, you know, conscious brands in your guys' hands. Yeah. Um, so if you'd like more information, go to almost30podcast.com slash retreat and uh, find out more there. We will be announcing our guest speakers, workshops, and experiences soon. So stay tuned, but it's selling really quickly. So if you're interested, we would love, love, love to have you. And we also announced our new Podcast Pro program and the enrollment for that is closing this Sunday, February 2nd. So if you out there are maybe thinking about starting a podcast or maybe you have a podcast and you want to you know, just up level in terms of branding, marketing, and maybe even monetizing. We have all of the resources for you within the new Podcast Pro program. It's really comprehensive. We are so proud of it and we cannot wait to see what you create and support you along the way. And with this enrollment, you get extra support from Krista and I. You also get a special goodie bag from some of our favorite sponsors. And, you know, we just, we just cannot reiterate enough that, you know, this process on our journey taught us so, so much. So we'd love to just kind of help you skip some of the mistakes that we made and really get to the point where you're feeling confident. Yeah. I received the sweetest DM about the, the webinar that we hosted on the 19th. I just took the webinar and I wanted to say how excited and grateful I am for both of you to encourage your community to send out this expansive energy. I'm manifesting big things for 2020 and would never have felt brave enough to take the first steps without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, so sweet. And that's really the whole point of Podcast Pro is to really support you guys in getting your voices heard and, you know, pursuing your dreams. Yeah. So if you have any questions, as always, we are here for you. You can DM us at Almost 30 Podcast. We also have the Your Podcast Pro Instagram as well. Uh, Join the secret Facebook group. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of women in there talking every day, supporting one another, laughing, connecting. It's, It's really great. Yeah, it's the best. It is the dang best. The best. And um, the girls in the group were actually talking about this article that I actually wanted to, to bring up. It was related to impulse purchases and the guilt that you feel when making them. And a lot of the, the concepts within this, it was from Well and Good. Um, it was a financial therapist take on the guilt you feel after making impulse purchase, purchases by Mary Grace Garris. And this will be in our show notes. A lot of it seemed to, you know, just reminded me of so many aspects of our lives, not just guilt you feel making impulse purchases. Yeah, It's like guilt you feel when, guilt you feel when, if you're overeating, if you're overspending, if you're overworking, if you're all these things. And it was just so interesting to read that and really make that sort of connection within my life. Yeah. And it made me think about, it's the guilt moments. And right now, as I understand them, it's like when my happiness just like exits, you know, it's like very sudden, yeah. this feeling like life could be good. Life could be good at feeling good. And for example, with an impulse purchase, all of a sudden, like <laughs> my, the way I feel about myself in that moment is completely through, you know, 180 and I'm feeling guilt, shame. I'm feeling very out of alignment and, you know, especially coming out of the holiday season, the holiday season is kind of riddled with those feelings yeah. of like, bye, bye, bye. The consumerism, like the, you know, we're marketed all these things to buy that we are told we need. And so I definitely fall, fall victim to that. 
and, and entering 2020, I've just been really mindful of those moments and not judging them, but just pausing. Um, it's kind of like that life yoga, uh, which we're going to talk a little bit about today with Koya, but it's just like pausing, breathing and understanding what that moment has for me, you know, rather than, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Should I take it back? Uh, what is it, What does this mean about me? You know, what does this mean about me that I just did this and just pausing and understanding, Hey, like maybe, maybe my finances are in line and my goals are set, you know, I'm set to reach my goals on saving or whatever. And maybe this purchase was really just my soul saying like, Hey, I wanted that weird pair of shoes and like you deserve it. You know, like really knowing in that moment, whether um, it's aligned or not. Completely. In the article, it says, if basic safety and stability needs are met, it is critical for our emotional financial health that we consciously put resources towards self-care. This is where the transformation to our relationship with money actually happens. When we allocate money for our own comfort, enjoyment, self-expression, growth, this creates a powerful shift in combating the shame that many of us were conditioned to feel in response to our needs. And I think that was what really hit me was feeling shameful about needing certain things or having certain things as part of my life. And I think about that a lot. You know, I feel so lucky that I have access to doing, you know, the self-practice, self-practice care activities in my life. You know, a lot of what I do is free meditation, walking, breathing, you know, that kind of stuff. But there are things that I do with self-care that aren't free. You know, Reiki healing um, is one of them and removing the shame around that and really just seeing it as a part of my budget. This is not a non-negotiable, but this is something that I deserve. And this is something that I can get without shame because I've allocated money in a different way otherwise. And just being really like, this is happening. This is a part of my life. Not like if I do, I feel bad that I did that because I'm not saving for something else. Yeah. And I think the feeling also comes from like this societal thing that says in order to be happy, you have to have money saved or invested or a lot of money or like a very stable future in the, you know, in the realm of having a lot of money and Sure, you know I, I, those things are are good things and good goals to have. But I think to be so attached, like your happiness to that, is really dangerous. You know, because there are going to be times in our lives where you know maybe the economy does something wild and we lose a lot of money. So is our happiness at the mercy of those things? I, you know, yeah, I've been there definitely have been there. And like my mood will drop if, if my bank bank account drops, right. But I don't, I'm really trying to be more mindful. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot when people say money is energy. I know people, a lot of people are saying that right now, but I truly believe that. And I don't want to hold on to it so tight that it can't flow. So yeah, it's just, it's just been interesting to try. No worries, that. sister. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? Just, you're not holding to it. It's so tight. <laughs> Neither <Thank>. am I. <laughs> Thank you. Money is flowing. Yeah, money's flowing. Well, I just, I don't know. I didn't have a, I didn't have parents who ta- taught me any of this. So it's really been a learning experience. I feel like a late bloomer in a lot of ways in this sense. And I also don't want to have shame around that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. You know, um, one of the one of my favorite books for money, um, money health is A Happy Pocket Full of Money. The cover's really weird. The cover's the the wackest cover I've ever seen, um, but it's actually really good. It talks a lot about the metaphysical aspects of money and a lot of just metaphysical information about money as energy. It's by David Cameron Gigandi, and that mm-hmm. one's a really good one. Great. Yeah, it's just an, uh, something that I think maybe within your friends, family, it's a little taboo to talk about money. So yeah. Hey, you can talk about it with us. Yeah. We're here for you. <laughs> Join the secret Facebook group. If you guys want to chat, we are always open um, and down with anything that involves you guys feeling less shame for being who you are. Truly on the podcast today, we're really excited to welcome our friend Koya Webb. And it just, it kind of ties together just in the sense of like pausing and noticing our thoughts and our reactions, like this idea of like life yoga um, and just having more grace and compassion for yourself. But we talk a bit about that with Koya as well as just her her experience being this international holistic health coach and author and yoga teacher really helping people um, find their confidence, building their community, which we align with and doing what you love uh, in that purposeful life of yours. So Koya is, is someone that we, we look to a lot for inspiration. Yeah. I really love, you know, her book, let your fears make you fierce, how to turn common obstacles into seeds for growth. And we both attended the book launch here in Venice at Osea Malibu, one of our awesome sponsors. And I felt just so moved by her book launch because within Koya's book launch, she brought up a few other women to tell their stories and just didn't make it all about her, even though it was her book launch. And in our interview, it was nice to kind of bring that over and see how she supports so many people and so many women within her life. And I didn't realize that she has gone through so much to get where she is. Her story is incredible. And when you first meet her, you see her and you're like, she's this beautiful former athlete, you know, just doing all these things, entrepreneur. And then you understand where she came from and it just really makes the whole thing so 360 and so inspirational. Truly. Yeah. Entrepreneur to say the least. She has not only her book, but she has Get Loved Up, Get Loved Up University. She has meditations on there, um, meal plans, all of this stuff. She's a, she's, she is vegan. And I love talking to her about that as well. And she has, you know, her screensavers, she has her journals, planners. So it's a really supportive community and she has so many resources or anyone and everyone. So that's KoyaWeb.com, K-O-Y-A-W-E-B-B.com. Yeah, and you can find her on Instagram as well, KoyaWeb, and then Get Loved Up is her brand as well. Mm -hmm. All right, enjoy this episode. Share with your friends if you're feeling it. It always means so much to us when we see you tag us on Instagram. Uh, Both Krista and I are on Instagram, obviously, at Lindsay Simsic and at It's Krista. We'd love to hear from you. DM us and join the Secret Facebook group to uh, meet new friends. They're all over the world. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for being a part of Almost 30. It really means a lot. Let's get into this interview. Love you. Bye. We're so glad to have you here. It's been such a long time coming. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. You're such a light. It was, there's been so many opportunities and times where we've got to hang out with you and loved it. But what was really special for me was your book launch at Osea in Malibu. Mm -hmm. That event that you did for the launch was just, it was so special. And it was such a, an example of you, you know, instead of making it about you, you brought other women up 
to speak to their experiences, to speak to ways in which that their fears made them fierce and tell their story. And it was just such a beautiful night. It just, I got to know more about you and some of the stories within your book, which I've since read. And it just really impacted me. And it was such a wonderful night and experience for us to go to. So I just, I loved that. Thank you. I really appreciate that because at the end of the day, I feel like we're all one. And the more that we can come together and share our stories, the more that we can collectively heal together. Yeah. And and with your book too, like I also just really feel it's truth. You know, I feel like so many people in our industry now are putting out books and with the stories within your book, it really made sense to me of how hard and important this was for you. Absolutely. I feel like, you know, we look at people online and we look at people on magazines and say, oh my God, they're so beautiful and they have it all together. And I want that. But we rarely do see the journey that they've been through and the struggles and the grit that they've had to go through and the Photoshop that (laughs) they've gone through to produce that picture. And I think it's really important. It was really important for me in the book just to share um, even things that I don't share online because even me sharing them was healing for me. And I don't think that, you know, we do that enough, especially when we're sharing, you know, the travels and the light and and things like that. And especially when you're a positive person, you're a positive role model, you're a motivational speaker, your job is to motivate. And so you're trying to deal with your stuff, put that behind you and move forward so you can inspire other people that are going through the stuff, right? Mm. So you don't think, and when I started, I was like, well, I'm done with that. I don't want to, you know, talk about that. I let it go. But I've had to learn that there is there's healing in the revealing and sharing the stories. And when I share those stories, people realize that, oh my God, no, you are not perfect and you don't even preach perfection. And also you've been through a lot to get to where you are. So I'm not gonna think I can just do that in a day. It actually took you a decade to build what you built. And I, I think in my sharing my story, people realize that things don't just happen overnight. It takes a lot of hard work. Yeah, it makes you three-dimensional. You know, it gives you that like, yeah, just it it really, and that was actually an experience I had with you, you know, seeing you online, so beautiful, you know, this beautiful Instagram living this beautiful life. And I never had the assumption that it was easy for you, but I just hadn't, you know, I hadn't got there. And then when I met you and read your story, I was like, wow, like this is a three-dimensional being that is like, has so many sides to her that has such a story to tell. And so it was just like a relief almost that you do have, you know, being so beautiful, smart, great with people, great at what you do, you know, a visionary, but then also the depth was there too. And that isn't, you know, that doesn't happen all the time. Thank you. So, so refreshing. So for our listeners, I'd love to go into your story, you know, talking from, you know, where you grew up, what that was like, and then moving through, um, you know, up to where we are now. I think growing up in the South, you have a specific experience in life. And especially the time when I grew up, you know, I'm an 80s baby. So I'm an 1981 in the house. Um, But I I grew up, you know, in Humboldt, Tennessee. It it was very segregated. It was black and white. Um, I grew up in the country. Um, We didn't have much. I was raised in a trailer and not a double wide, you know, and (laughs) it was me, my mom, my dad, and I had um, two brothers and a sister. So it was six of us in a small, tight trailer in the middle of the country. And, um, 
I remember, you know, just for breakfast, just the powdered milk and just being disgusted by it and, you know, never having new clothes and always wondering like, you know, um, is this normal? Like, is it, you know, cause I would see on TV, like, you know, the cow and the milk and the things like that. And, uh, you know, we'd always ask my mom and dad, we want that kind, you know, mm-hmm. we'll, they, uh, my parents would be like soon, soon, but we always it's never like we lacked anything. We had a lot of love. We loved to go outside and play in nature. I was a tomboy, so I'd always uh, climb the trees. And uh, my mom taught me to sing to trees like as a little girl. Wow. And I remember uh, my favorite time in nature is when it would rain. The next day, the ground would be soft and I would just grab some of that ground and make a mud pie. <laughs> and I, that was my favorite thing to do with my mom. Like My mom was like, you're too young to be in the kitchen, so go outside and play. And so I'd make mud pies and pretend like I could bake. And so <laughs> I think growing up and you know just being so close to nature has definitely helped me stay grounded um, because it hasn't been easy going from that to living in California. And I think you know my parents working hard when I was eight years old, we finally moved to a house, but it was after a lot of hard work and a lot, seeing a lot of fighting and a lot of, you know, things growing up, it made me appreciate a dollar for one, because eventually, you know, on Christmas, we got our own shoes and that's once a year we get our own shoes and our own clothes, like one outfit, a piece, one pair of shoes when school started. And I was grateful. I remember my dad, he would buy shoes like two or three sizes beyond what I needed. And I'm like, dad, these don't fit. He's like, you grow into them. (laughs) And by the time I grew into them, they were over, you know, and it never made sense to me. I remember one time I um, had this bruise on my pinky and it, most people get corns from shoes too tight, but I got it because my shoe was too big and my feet, the outside of my feet over rub on the side of my shoe. But um, so that's how I grew up. And, you know, finally we got a house. And that was nice because we have much more space. I could run around. I could be active. I could do fitness. I started my love for fitness with fitness DVDs, Denise Austin. Oh, and my, oh my God. Jane Fonda. <laughs> yeah, I used to, and then I um, once I got into yoga, I started looking at Rodney Yee. So yeah, I started off with the VHS fitness and I was always passionate about, for some reason, if I wasn't outside, I was inside jumping around. I always had a lot of energy. Was your mom doing the tapes or where'd you get the tapes? I don't... I think I got the tapes at the library. I was going to say the library. Oh, wow. <laughs> Doing the tapes. I remember for some reason at a young age, I was very interested in, in physical fitness. Wow. I remember seeing this bodybuilder online and I'm like, oh my God, I was so mesmerized. And my dad was like, oh, you don't want to do that. You don't want to get that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember as a little girl just being like mesmerized. And I remember my dad's like, no, 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 that's too much. And I was just like, wow, like, how is that even possible? Yeah. And, but no one in my family was a bodybuilder, but I naturally loved fitness and I was naturally loving nature and outside. And I naturally gravitated to natural health. And I think it's another thing my mom and dad were always like, just drink water. They never liked going to the doctor doctor. We were all about like the natural life. And so growing up like that, 
I definitely think it set a strong foundation into what I'm doing now because I grew up very close to nature and, and thinking about natural health, but my diet was not healthy at all. I ate all the honey buns and Twinkies mm. and snack cakes and all those things. Were you vegetarian from a young age? No, never. Okay. No, my whole family ate all the things and um, very unhealthy and chicken on Sunday, pizza on Friday. and But we did have home cooked meals. So during the week, so I think that was a healthy foundation. Mm-hmm. Not only did we have home cooked meals, but we ate together. So even though like now I've been, you know, plant-based vegan for 14 years, and even though my family is different, I still acknowledge that no matter what you're eating, sitting down at the table and, and talking helps digestion of that food and and having that connection mm-hmm. and having the mindfulness around what it is you're eating is so important. So we still do that when I go home. And I think, you know, although like I, I've have a more advanced way of eating now that is more like alkaline and, you know, the digestibility is high, the nutrients are high. I've learned that, you know, this food is more acidic that I used to eat and more toxic and this is better. Still the practice of connecting with my family is the same. And once I learned that my family they really attached to it better than when I was just like, oh, your food is bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were just like, hey, don't touch my food. Get my food out of the trash can. You know? <laughs> and, and then they were just like, okay, we'll try some of these things. So, But I grew up very Southern, um, Southern Baptist in the church, um, church every Sunday. And in the summer times, I would go to vacation Bible school. I knew all the verses of the Bible and very deep in, in religion and the Ten Commandments and things like that. That was kind of my upbringing, just very, very spiritual, very close to nature, but not definitely not vegan and definitely not uh, any type of metaphysicals or, you know, it was just on Sunday. And then I tried to be a good person during the week, (laughs) (laughs) tried my very best. Um, And then I think it was, you know, when I... um, when I got to high school, I started to get into athletics But because before that, my parents couldn't afford to take me to practices or expensive camps or things like that. And so I actually tried out for the cheerleading team and didn't make it. And I just realized I've had anxiety since a young age because this whole anxiety thing started coming about. I was like, why does everyone have anxiety? What is anxiety? It doesn't even make sense. And then once I started researching, I was like, oh. Me too. I, remember, <laughs> I, I have that. I, I was like, dang. So that means I've had anxiety for a long time. <laughs> You're like, yeah, guys, what do we do? <laughs> because um, I remember trying out for a chili and I was so nervous. I'm, mm. I started hyperventilating and I hyperventilate to the point like I couldn't even do um, my practice. And then... Anytime I would get scared, uh, I remember one time my friend accidentally drowned me because she was drowning. I tried to save her and she pulled me under because Whoa. she panicked. Um, so I had to break away from her and eventually the lifeguard saved her. But so after that, I would have these little panic attacks like every time I got in the wow. water yeah. until in college, I took a water safety class and, you know, I got better. Uh, but in In high school, I wanted to run and I wanted to play basketball. Didn't make the trillion team. Didn't make the basketball team because again, I got really nervous and I didn't have enough practice. So the only thing I could do is run track. 
And I was like, well, I'm going to be the best track person. And so I practiced every day. And I went to state my fir- my freshman year um, on a 4x4 relay. Um, the second year, I went to the state meet um, in the pentathlon and the high jump and the long jump. And I just got better and better and stronger and stronger. And then I asked my coach, I was like, can you get me on the basketball team? And he's like, all right. We, d- we didn't have a winning team. So he's like, all right, I'll get you on. <laughs> and um, I heard him talking to the coach. He was like, at least she can run and play really good defense. I was like, that's right. I can do that. You know? So I got on the team, ended up uh, the first year I rode the bench and I was just looking, waiting. I was just like, can I wait for my chance? Mm. I remember one time I got a chance and I was so excited. I visualized me dribbling the ball down the court because no one's going to pass me the ball because, you know, I was a little bit clumsy at the time. So I was like, I got this. I'm going to dribble down the court and I'm going to lay it in and the crowd's going to go wild. So sure enough, I grabbed the rebound. I dribbled down the court. I laid it in and everyone was moaning. I was like, what happened? And oh, I shot at the wrong goal. No. <laughs> I was you do that when you're like five. I just like, I remember looking up at the crowd of my dad's face and he's just shaking his head like, oh, oh my God. And um, I, was I like, look forward to the day mm, my kids do that. That would yeah. be the best. <laughs> totally. Literally. It doesn't so matter. Honest. I love you. Exactly. <laughs> because I think that I remember the coach pulling, quiet, what are you doing? And she pulled me out and yelled at me, which is probably why we had a losing season. But you know, she just yelled at me and I was just so happy I made a shot. I was just like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but did you see that dribble? <laughs> did you see me score? And anyway, I wrote the biz for the rest of that year. And then my um, my junior year, um, that coach got, um, she left or got fired. I don't know what happened. We had a new coach and they they knew no one. They just knew hustle and hard work. And I was like, oh, I got hustle. I got some hard work. So I ended up starting uh, my junior year. I got most improved my junior year. And my senior year, I ended up getting MVP, most rebounds and most points. Damn. So at a young age, I had a really intense work ethic. And I had this vision that if I can work hard at something, then I can do it. It's all about hard work. Were there conversations at home? Like when you were little, I'm curious because- coming out the gate and having things stacked against you, you know, not having maybe what all the other kids had necessarily, but, you know, having that drive, which is what is so important, having that confidence, having that vision, like what were the conversations like at home that gave you that? My conversation, my mom, her main thing to me, she was just like, no matter what, Koya, just make sure you're happy. Just make sure you're happy. When you're not happy, go out in nature and talk to the trees, which I still do. I I love my mom. I adore her. I talk to her every Sunday and sometimes during the week. And that's something that, you know, we didn't have, we weren't best friends, me and my mom, but she would just say simple things. Mm. And I think she raised us in a way because she kept us out in nature. We did obstacle courses. Mm. I ran for the bus every day. And I think those things just kind of built up my natural stamina and love for nature. So my mom was always just be happy. My dad was like, get a job, make money, work hard. Um, uh, It was really like, 
I almost couldn't ever do anything right. It's like, I always felt like if I got in a fight or argument, he's like, what did you do wrong? It, you know, what did you say? And so I actually grew up, he was very strict and very, very tight with money. And so I always felt like I had to work super hard to, to get money or approval or <laughs> whatever I needed. And so I think that instilled also like a hard work ethic in me. And I think especially for the first part of my life that really drove me to have my own things because I feel like growing up in the South and, and under that strict, like not having much. And even when we, when we had more money, it, it was still very, my dad was very thrifty. I just felt like constrained mm. and I felt like I couldn't, I could never, I, I would see my father give money to other families and we didn't even have shoes. And like the kids would be like, your dad bought me these shoes and look at your shoes, busted, dusty browns, you know? <laughs> And I would be so infuriated. And I was like, dad, why can't I have new shoes? Like, you know, you have to think about other people. And so he taught me to put other people before myself at a very, very young age. And although that's really good that you take care of your community, I created Get Loved Up because you need to love yourself, love others, love the world in that order. And if you don't take care of yourself, you'll end up feeling resentment and you'll end up being sick. Um, but I was taught that. So even though it was good in one sense, because it taught me to work hard and always self reflect reflect. Um, but it was kind of toxic in one sense is that I always looked outside of myself and gave outside of myself until the point I was depleted and I didn't have anything, anything left. So, but I think, you know, with playing sports, it's really good because you work hard and you're a team player and it, it kind of balances everything out. So once I graduated, I was like, I'm going to um, school on a track scholarship. So that's what got me my track scholarship. I went to college close to home because I still wanted to take care of my home because it was like, you need to take care of everybody. And I got offers from like all of the top schools for track and field and then a couple of school for basketball because I'd just gotten um, good. But I chose to go to UT Martin and um, stay close to home. And uh, I remember I gained 20 pounds. Like the stress of kind of not being out of the country and then going to college and then not having much food and getting like all you can eat. Yeah. It was so good. (laughs) And I love food. Like, is this how everyone's been eating all the time? I'm like, exactly. I was like, oh my God. Did you get, did you got food on your scholarship? Yes. Mm, I mean, that's the worst thing they could have done to me. Wow. (laughs) I mean, because I was like, I remember one time going to dinner and I ate like three dinners. I ate like a hot dog with like the breaded, the corn dog. Then I had fettuccine Alfredo. Then I had some pizza. And it's like, they had all these booths. Like one side you can get Italian, then you can get Mexican. Mexican, mm-hmm. then you get American, and I like all the, I like all, all the cuisines. You're like college is amazing. Exactly, <laughs> I ate around the world in one. <laughs> it was so good. Um, so yeah, so I gained 20 pounds, but no one told me, you know, the laws of gravity. Yeah. That oh, I don't know if you gain 20 pounds, you're probably not going to be able to jump over that bar. Ah! Oh, my butt kept hitting the bar. I was like, what's wrong? With this thing? <laughs> I don't know. I got an extra three inches out. I was excited about. It. I was like, ooh, I got yeah, a booty yeah. now. I'm thinking, you know, I just got my curves, got the college. <laughs> Guys are thinking I'm cute now. So, but yeah, that doesn't do too well for your scholarship. Did you, when did you notice, <laughs> did anyone, did a coach tell you or what was like the moment where you're like, oh fuck, like. No one told me because I think they were a little like, they weren't as um, open as they are now. Yeah, yeah. And, and definitely in the South, you know, kind of thick is in. And it, it always was for me when I grew I'm sure up. you looked amazing. You yeah. always looked amazing. Yeah. And, and it was 
it was just different. Like right now I can go from, I think when I graduated, I was like 125. Right now I'm like 155, mm-hmm. um, but I still look lean-ish, right? Yes. And so when I gained the weight, I was just thinking it was like in my legs and booty, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, yes, but it does affect your marks as an athlete. You know, if you go in gymnast, track, any of those things, if you gain 20 pounds, that's a big difference. So if you start training out like that, it's fine. But if it's a big jump and you haven't trained with that weight, it yeah. definitely affects your performance. So actually no one told me. Um, I had a coach who was like, you know, you're really struggling. And I had a point where I got jumped. Like these girls were trying to haze me. I won't say the um, sorority, but um, they found out through my best friend that I was um, legacy and they tried to haze me. It was like a a kind of May Day or something. And they had uh, these water guns. And one of them took the water gun and squirted me in the face. And I remember taking the gun from her and then pushing her on the ground and throwing the gun. The other girl tried to jump me and I got away from her and then I just ran away. And so everyone Mm. said I beat them up, which I did. And I literally just protected myself basically. And anyway, it was bad after that. And um, Mm. so they would just bully me all the time. And, you know, I just kind of just tolerated it. And, uh, but it was, it was a really rough year for me. Bullying in college. Bullying in high school and college. High school and college. In high school, it was always like, you know, your hair and you're skinny, you're too skinny, you're too tall, your skin's too dark. And, you know, it it was just never in. I remember getting in a fight and I had all these plaits in my hair and (laughs) these two girls, one of them held my hands behind my back and the other girl just ripped all of my um, barrettes out of my hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was... And I was just there crying. And I remember saying, next time, you know, in the Bible, it says, turn the other cheek. Well, once I turn one cheek, I'm coming back with a fist. No one's going to be like, that was the last time I got beat up. But I got in a lot of fights because I, I was very sassy and I always wanted to hang out with people older than me. So I'd always get bullied and, you know, pushed um, back and, and, and kind of beat up. And so, but it made me stronger. Mm. And once I started to fight and, and fight back, people started to leave me alone because I, I'd win. Cause people, I was, would, people would physically fight a lot? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. On, we, I wrote the bus to school yeah. and on the bus to school, I, I get into fights. And what happened was once I get in a fight in a bus, I get kicked off the bus. So my dad or mom had to drive me to school. Yeah. So I would come home and get a whooping. There was a leather belt <laughs> on the rail. And once I once I got kicked off the bus, I came home. So I wasn't going to get beat up mm-hmm. on the bus and when I got home. So I try to make sure I win the fight because I was like, once I get home, I am Damn. going to get tore down. And then after the whooping, we go to the house of the person <laughs> that we got in a fight and we'd have to apologize. Uh, so it's pretty brutal. Really? Oh my God. And That's then, so confusing. So in college, what was when did you have the injury? That that was like life-changing injury. In college, when I had the injury was after, um, so I did the year, gained the 20 pounds. And then I had a coach, which he didn't say, you know, you're too heavy. He literally said, you know, I didn't have one, number one, I didn't have free food. When I went to Wichita State, you had to pay for it. They give you money for a stipend. So, you know, me being a thrifty person, thanks dad. Um, I was saving all that money because I was like, I need to stack my coins so I can get a computer and I can get all these other things. So I wasn't about to spend 
spend it on food. Whereas at the other school, they just gave it to us. Mm. And so I actually ate a lot less and I naturally, you know, ended up being the ideal weight for my height and for athletics. And we trained so hard. Mm. We trained for four hours every single day. Um, We'd hit the weight room, we'd hit the track, and then we do like, you know, sprints and time trials. So I worked out much harder at the second school at Wichita State than I did um, at UT Martin. And I think, you know, naturally, you know, things just balanced out and I started doing really well, but I was trying to be a student athlete, maintain a 4.0 and train that hard and I wasn't getting enough sleep. So eventually I was walking home from school one day and I just got this sharp pain in my back, fell to the ground. Mm. And I was like, it felt like a lightning bolt. Like something just like stabbed me. I was like, dang, did I get shot? <laughs> like, you know, because I heard people get shot. They're like, oh, it just feels like something like stings you or bites you. I'm looking around like who shot me? <laughs> and um, now I went to the hospital and they're like, no, you have a stress fracture and um, you're going to be out for the season. So that's when my life really, because I'd worked this hard. I got in the full ride. I was like, this is my ticket out. I want to travel the world. I want to see things. And I saw a little bit going to the state meet. Um, and I knew when I started to travel, I was like, this is what is going to get me out of the country. I always like, I love the country, but I wanted to see more things. So once I got the injury, I was like, now what? Like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, what what is there to do? Like, I don't want to just have good grade. My coach was like, don't worry, you can be a coach. I was like, I don't want to be a coach. I want to be an athlete. I want to go to the Olympics. And I started crying in classes. I started feeling like, like worthless. And then one of my teachers, she said, you know, I think you should go to the counselor, you know, um, and just talk to her about, you know, how you're feeling. And the counselor recommended I tried yoga. And I was like, what is yoga? Is that, you know, worshiping Buddha? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, it's, it's just stretching. Just, you know, go there and just, you know, enjoy the classes. And I remember going, I was intimidated. I was like, I cannot touch my toes. This doesn't feel good. This doesn't look blissful. How are they in in not in pain. I remember standing on my head and I just felt like my brain wanted to ooze out. I was like, Mm. this is painful. And my teacher came to me and she said, I just want you to breathe with me. And she took this deep inhale and we exhaled together. And I was like, oh man, that feels so good. And I just felt that release, that chill run through my body. And I was like, that spirit And I remember what it felt like because I remember asking my parents, when am I supposed to get baptized? And they're like, you will know. I was like, but what do you mean? Will the pastor say something? They're like, you'll know. And I remember one time the pastor was speaking and I I felt this chill and I was like, ah, that feels good. I guess that's it. And, And when I felt that chill in yoga, I was like, that feels good because when I get that chill, I, it's like a sign. It's like my body's speaking Mm -hmm. to me. So I ended up staying Um, I started swimming, I started biking. And after a year, I came back to win the conference championship and lead Wichita State to their first women's championship. Wow. And I have yoga, like, and not only was it the flexibility and helping me heal my back, but it also helped me mentally and physically deal with a lot of other trauma that I experienced and just release and relax and just breathe. Because up until then, I was trying hard, so hard to succeed, so hard to be successful. And, you know, it really, it honestly gave me the break that I needed. What were some of the first messages that you received through doing yoga? I think the message of just, you know, connect with your breath. And one thing my my teacher always said in the class, he's, 
like practice being more than doing. And I remember, and even today, um, you know, I do a lot, but I always remember just be, be with your breath. Take this time in the morning, every morning to sit with your breath, to um, listen to the frequencies of the day and just be, Mm. just breathe. And that sets the tempo of my entire day. And then something else that I learned is that, you know, no matter how hard you work, there is nothing better than being still. You know, because we all have things we want to do, places we want to go. But at the end of the day, stillness and learning how to just be okay with just your presence, it's an art. And it's an art we're not taught in school. No one teaches you to just be and just enjoy others being. We do it naturally as kids when we're playing and we're enjoying and we're out in nature. But then once we get into having families and having jobs, you know, it's, it's, we're at work and then we're at our friends and then we're in the bed, but we're never actually just like sitting out and enjoying the leaves blowing in the trees, enjoying watching the water, enjoying, you know, looking at an animal, just being free in nature, that time that gets lost. So in yoga, when I close my eyes um, and visualize, visualize, I really see these realities. And I learned also visualization um, is the key to calming yourself down. You know, when you're thinking about like, oh, this meet and who I wanna, what time I need to get in, who who do I have to watch out for and all these things in my head, remembering that you can just do your best and be your best. And I stopped visualizing other people and started just focusing on my own race. And I think um, in track and field, you're always competing against someone else. And so in the yoga class, I learned to run my own race. And it's really not about competition. It's about doing my best every single day. And I think that's one of the most powerful messages I've ever had. And especially in the industry, the fitness industry, there's a lot of people. And I think me learning that lesson in college, learning just to run my own race and run it strong, I'm very inspired. And I think that's beautiful. But at the end of the day, realizing that my race and all of our race is very unique. And we have to focus on that race in order to um, really be happy. Do you remember like what's your spiritual journey been like? Was it, did it start with yoga? Was that when you felt like, you know, you said you felt spirit when you were breathing. Has the path of your yoga been in parallel to your spiritual journey? I think yoga really enhanced my spiritual journey. When I grew up, again, I was Southern Baptist. And so we went to church on Sunday, 10 commandments. I read, you know, the Bible. And um, then during the week, you, you be the best person you can. Whereas in yoga, it's a practice that I did every day. So I was aware and connected to spirit every day. And in um, my religion, Baptist religion, Christian religion, um, you have the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is what I felt, was is what I feel when I connect to the breath. Like that's what I feel, like that I'm feeling that connection that's always gonna be there. And that spirit that is there beyond our bodies. I think that spirit, the Holy Spirit is the oneness that connects us all. And when we connect to the spirit, then everything else starts to make sense because it's just outside of us. It's like your journey is your journey. Someone else's journey is there, but we can connect when we connect in love, when we connect in compassion and understanding, we're connecting on that spiritual level that connects us all. And so that's really what 
my journey is like with yoga is like taking it from just a once a week connection to a continual awareness. Every time I close my eyes and go, it's connecting with spirit. And it helps me release anxiety. It helps me calm down. If I'm frustrated, if I'm mad, it reminds me just being, just breathing is enough. And then I can look at things from a more heightened awareness without judgment, just really listening. So I think yoga beyond the flexibility and beyond the poses and beyond all the um, yamas and niyamas and all the things that you learn, I think learning to connect with your breath is the most powerful thing I learned from yoga because that that connection to me is connection with spirit. What was your family's reaction to kind of your um, yoga practice and your love for it and how it was changing your life? Because I, I understand that like the breath to you is like the Holy Spirit. So there's that connection to maybe what they believe in, but I'm just wondering if they thought it was weird. Oh yeah, they definitely <laughs> thought it was weird. They're like, are you starting another religion? What's going on? <laughs> yes, in fact. I was like, yeah. I am the founder. Honestly. Yeah, it loved up religion. It was so, exactly. It, it was so hard to explain. And then I realized that I don't have to explain it. Yeah. It's unexplainable. You can't ex- explain God. You can't explain yeah. spirit. It just is. And the more people try to explain, the more we're going to separate and have different churches and a million different religions. And at the end of the day, love is love. Spirit is spirit. God is God. And you either feel it or you don't. The more we try to articulate um, what it is, it's a beautiful thing, but we have to acknowledge that it's going to be different for everyone. And if in that articulation, we're trying to connect, it's a good thing. But if we're trying to judge and separate, it becomes detrimental. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I always remember when people talk to me about it. I'm like, hey, at the end of the day, I love you. No matter what you say, no matter what religion you are, I hope we can meet in that field of love. And so I think that's important when we talk about religion. A lot of people are very sensitive about religion and, and things like that. But at the end of the day, I learned when I was in the Southern Baptist religion that, you know, God is love. And that's why I named my company Get Loved Up and it's get full of love, get full of God, get full of that oneness that connects us all. And so if someone is saying something outside of that or telling me, oh, this person is um, a bad person, this person is not going to go to heaven, this person, that never resonated with me ever. And so there are some things that people would say that I felt like didn't resonate with me. Whereas when I started learning more spirituality, I learned that, no, there are some people that are dealing in the darkness. There are some people that are deeply wanting to hurt and they will do things and you have to be careful and you have to discern um, how close you keep people in your life um, and when to step away from people if they're doing things that are out of alignment with God, out of alignment with love. And those are the things that I follow. And I feel like more so feeling it and trusting spirit to guide me, which is what I got out of the Bible, that's what I do. And and if some people think that's wrong because I don't do what they do, that's okay. They have the right to feel however they feel. But I know for sure the deepest message that I got from, the deepest message that I got from my religion is 
the Holy Spirit will guide you. Mm. And that's what the Spirit, Holy Spirit does every single day. And that's what I teach. I teach oneness and connecting because we all have that internal guidance. We all have spirit. We all have breath. And if you have breath, you have spirit. It doesn't leave. It doesn't go away. We only can close our eyes and we can only be, um, spirit can only be clouded out by the noise, media, opinions, and we can stop hearing the guidance, but it doesn't go away. That's why I love the footprints of the sand. You know, it's in your darkest hour. I was carrying you. And I I really do feel that, you know, spirit is always with us, always there to guide us. And sometimes when we have fear, doubt, worry, judgment, um, it kind of clouds the truth and clouds our divine guidance. Mm. But I truly believe we're divinely guided. Mm. It is hard to describe God to people. Yeah, when you when you feel it, when you have the presence of source in your life, it is really hard to explain how how it feels and how it feels to know. And I've been coming across that a little bit more with you know what we do and when we meet people. And it's not that people don't know God, you know the people that I meet, but just when you have that connection that you feel you are divinely guided, it is hard to explain. Right. You know, and it's just like a knowing and it's like this fun relationship that you have, you know, that you feel within you, that you are able to tap into that is like, just makes your life so much more meaningful. But it's also too, it's funny when you said like, you know, people were like talking about people not going to heaven. Like I remember that I grew up Catholic and you'd say that and it's now it's like so laughable, you know, that mm-hmm. someone would be like, wow, you're not going to go to heaven. You're like, Okay. Yeah, it's like but a, people still really believe that. I know. Like mm-hmm. half of our world actually, you know, mm-hmm. um, believes that. And so, and in Ohio, on the highway, there's billboards that are like, hell is real. There's like, they're everywhere in Ohio. It's mm-hmm. like, there's one billboard that says hell, keep driving. It says it is, and the next one is real. And they, they do like <laughs> differentiations of like, of like, hell is real. Like, there's some, some ones that are like, hell is happening, or like, there's like a bunch of like the fear ones in Ohio. Hell is definitely happening. I do believe that Mm -hmm. (laughs) on earth. Yeah, honestly. (laughs) I I believe that the visions and the prophecies and the things that have been written about are real. And that's the thing. Like revelations. Whenever you try to judge the context on what someone was talking about, when they were talking about it, that's when you lose it, right? Mm. Because, and then when you try to put it in a box and say, okay, based on what they said, this is how we should be living. But when you really follow the teachings of Jesus, it's like, I am the way, the truth, and the light. And he's connecting with spirit. He's like, I can do all these things. And that's that's how we're supposed to be mirroring our lives, right? But then when you read and you you look at a lot of the practices, it's not following that. Mm -mm. It's not. And so it's very interesting. It's very interesting. Um And I can't, you know, I try not to be one-sided, but all I can say is that you have to really listen to your spirit because the spirit will guide you because we don't have Jesus here today. We have the Holy Spirit. The spirit is our guide. The spirit will guide you to what is true and to what is not. Mm -hmm. And so when I pray, I always pray for that spiritual guidance. And my spiritual guidance has guided me to respect what people believe. So whether I go to Bali or I go to Africa or I go to um, 
England, I respect people's religion because it's whatever they believe that connects them with spirit that that makes them feel oneness. I really do respect that. And I just wanted to say that because I feel like, you know, just even not respecting that is... um is a separation, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I have to say that I do respect. And when I go home, I go to church. I go to church. I go to church with my parents. I sit down and and I just, it's about connection for me. Mm-hmm. I have no problem with it. Sometimes things can be said that I'm like, okay. <laughs> I remember going to a service. It's like, the woman is to help me. You know, and I remember hearing that. I'm like, ooh. ooh. The like, woman is, say that again. Help me. Oh, wow. It's like one of the most, what an interesting thing. I remember going to another church where I was the only woman of color there and no one sat next to me. It was like a whole pew and the church was packed. And I literally felt so much oh. weird energy. And I had never done this before because I feel comfortable almost yeah. anywhere. But the energy was so interesting. And the minister had an opportunity to say something. The deacons had an opportunity to say something. No one said anything. Wow. And I think when the church got really packed, someone sat on the bench, like at the end of the bench way away. And I felt so much negative energy. I just got up and I walked out, which, which I, I, you know, I, I had never done that before. And I was just like, wow, it felt good. It felt good to just honor myself in yes. that way and mm-hmm. just get up and walked out. And I went to another church down the street. It was actually the church I was looking for, but I went to the wrong one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm here. I'll just sit here. And I've been to different churches before and it's fine. And it wasn't fine. It wasn't okay. And so that's why I always say that, you know, having these conversations around spirituality and knowing people can be in a very religious construct, but still have very separated, segregated, um, detrimental to society ways of being and views towards people that are very harmful. And so when someone is like that, it's hard for me to believe that they're following spirit or they're connected to spirit at all. Mm -hmm. So I try not to judge it, but I'm aware of it. And I'm aware that's someplace that I don't need to be because it could be very dangerous for me. And I've been in places like that place. That was very dangerous. It's dangerous for my spirit because once you get treated with disrespect, I remember sitting on a plane one day and these ladies were asked me like, can you sit somewhere else? And I was like, no, this is my seat. Yeah. And they were like, well, you can sit anywhere. There's some more space like back there. It was like the front seat. I was like, no, this this is an open seat. And they were so mad at me for not moving and for, and she was just like, I'm sorry. My daughter just died. And she was really upset. I said, I'm sorry to hear that. What was her name? You know, and we talked. By the end of the flight, she was in tears. And some way I channeled her daughter. I knew her name and I spoke, her daughter spoke to her through me and they ended up um, reconciling their relationship. She never got to say she's sorry. They ended up on um, having an argument before she passed and she hugged me like I was her daughter before she left. And that just goes to show that sometimes, even though there is darkness, you just have to be the light and hold space. But at first I was so upset. I was so hurt. And I remember putting on my headset and listen, listening to this um, music that I listen to almost every day called Beautiful Chorus. And oh, I love these, them. Mm. Uh, they're so good. They have these mantras like, I am love, I am light. And I just kept listening and listening. And then, you know, some, and then, you know, wow. spirit started working. And that to me, like that is spirit. I can't take credit for that. 
You know, I can take credit for putting myself in a high vibration so that that oneness can happen. So that's how I know like the Holy Spirit is real and spirit is real. And even when a person is darkness, if I would have judged her and said, oh, she's just a mean yada, 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 you know, I mean, I'm not saying I didn't have those thoughts. I'm saying after those thoughts, which I definitely like had like, oh, why is this woman being so difficult? I'm going to tune her out and I'm going to sit wherever I want to sit. But me getting my place to a high revelation. And that's what my teachings are about. We're not perfect. We're going to get angry. We're going to get frustrated. But when you get that way, get loved up. And how do you do that? Listening to happy music, doing yoga, doing meditation. And when you get yourself to a higher vibration, you can be a conduit for love. You can be a conduit for God. And that's what happened in that moment. Mm. So, but you have to choose like in the church, I wasn't that day. That wasn't my, that wasn't my testimony that day, but cause we get to choose. And I truly believe there is no right or wrong. We just keep continually getting these opportunities to choose. I think that was a get left up moment in church though. Yeah. For mm-hmm. you to walk out. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I definitely do. What are you going to do? Teach them all a lesson. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, you really do have to choose. And Martin Luther King was a, was a beautiful example. Like he had times where he marched mm-hmm. and he had times like, we're not going to march today. And he literally followed spirit. And sometimes you got to march and sometimes you got to take a knee mm-hmm. and you got to know, and feel and ask and pray about the discernment on when you're marching and when you're taking a knee. I, like I said, I can't tell people when or when not. You just, it's a feeling thing. And the more you practice that, the more you can discern when to you know, speak up and stand up for injustice. And the more you can know when to maybe in your stillness or maybe in your leaving, that's, also a message. Mm-hmm. So you have verbal and nonverbal communication. And I feel like me leaving was a message. That was something that was probably talked about, addressed. Maybe everyone's like, good, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't for me to endure because my energy, my spirit didn't want to be there. Whereas in, on the plane, my spirit wanted to be there. It's like, no, you sit in this seat, you sit down and you put wow. on your music. And I was like, all right. So besides the music and meditation, what are some other ways you stay high vibration? Oh gosh, I have a whole list of of things, but um, another way is through the food that I eat. Um, I eat an alkaline diet, mostly fruits and vegetables um, and eating alkaline helps reduce the acidity in the body. When our body is very acidic, um, it's just like when your body is acidic and you have lactic acid, it's pain. Well, also in our emotions, when we have a lot of toxins, a lot of negativity, a lot of news, it makes us very agitated, frustrated. You know, if you're around someone angry, some you get angry. And if someone has high anxiety, you start feeling like someone's shaking their leg, you start shaking your leg. So we're very much energetic beings and we draw energy off of each other. And so one thing that I love to do is you know, the yoga and the breath work. So breath work is the other big thing I do in the morning. Um, I do Nali Kriya, Kapalabhati breath, um, different things to just really um, get my body alkaline through breath work. Mm. Um, And then eating, I do like cayenne and lemon in the morning, smoothies, salads, veggie bowls, all that stuff keeps my body alkaline. So nutrition is big. And then also I do self-assessment. So I journal, I write down my limiting beliefs. I write down my goals. Uh, I write down my frustrations. I write down 
you know, things that make me angry. I write down, um, you know, in my journal, I have a place where I write like, what, what are places that I can grow? Like, you know, and when I'm sharp with someone or when I cut someone off or when someone, you know, like irritates me, I write those things down too, because that's energy I need to release. Or if I said something that I didn't mean, or if I need to apologize to someone, like those are the things that keep me at a high vibration. Low vibration is diving into that argument. Low vibration is, you know, not treating someone kindly. Low vibration is, you know, just not living in alignment with what I know is is good for me. Mm. Um, What has been your experience, if I'm thinking about like the wellness world in LA in particular, predominantly white and seemingly a lot of services and opportunities to quote unquote be well cost something and are inaccessible to everyone. So I'm wondering like what your experience has been and and how how you, you position your work so that it is making a difference. So it is. I'm just wondering, like, was that a part of why you started this? Absolutely. That is a hundred percent the reason why I started the Get Loved Up Yoga teacher trainings, because I often and still to this day am sometimes the only woman of color in the room. Mm. And it is an interesting scene to navigate because you want to be there. You want to learn, but at the same time, you want to see more people that can relate to your experience in the world. And when you're around people um, that are great people, but you don't have that relatability, you don't feel like you can talk about everything. You don't feel like you can share everything. And it's just, it's a hard scene to navigate. So I decided to um, start Get Loved Up Yoga Teacher Training so that I can certify more women of color. And it's not exclusive to just women of color. Normally, like the last teacher training, we have someone from Germany, someone from Canada, and someone right here in LA that, you know, weren't women of color. And they also get to experience how it feels to be maybe the only person from Germany, the only person from Canada. Um, And so I think that's important um, to create spaces where we are encouraging people that have a lower income to get certified. I give scholarships to all my yoga teacher trainings, um, to all my courses. I always give scholarships because I know what it feels like not to have. And I know what it feels like to you know, be working so hard, but you still feel like you can't get ahead because the systems are stacked up against you. And I feel like being one of the first women, you know, to really um, move forward in the wellness scene, in the yoga scene, it definitely was difficult, you know, to sit in these spaces and to, um, even when I invite, you know, some of my friends, the fact that they didn't feel comfortable you know, and for some reason, I felt like I belong here, just like I belonged on that plane. Like I, I felt like I belonged and I felt like that I want this information. And I think growing up in the South where it was just black and white, I was in advanced classes where I also had this dynamic. So at a young age, I was already used to, before I got into the yoga scene, I was used to being in classrooms where I was the only woman of color. And um, I got you know, I got bullied and it was just like, you know, oh, you're too smart, you know, and I got bullied by, you know, other, you know, people that look like me. And so that was really a trauma that I had to um, deal with. But I realized that I'm 
we are one. Like I'm doing this for the collective consciousness. I'm not doing this for um, anything other than that. So as I started to mature and be in these yoga spaces where I'm seeing the same thing, I'm just like, I can't just talk about this. I have to do something about this. And something that I did, even when I was growing up, is I always would teach, you know, everyone around me. And my dad said, you're going to be a teacher. I was like, I don't want to be a teacher. Like, that sounds boring. I don't want to be in a classroom. But again, shout out to all teachers. It's hard work. And I am a teacher now. (laughs) But growing up, I I just felt like, no, I'm going to do something else. Uh, And so... My dad's like, you're going to be a teacher because I'd always share and sometimes even do homework for people, but I'd always want to share the knowledge. And so when I came into the yoga space, it was just like, I can do something about this. Now that I'm older, now that I'm wiser, I realized like, I see all these other yoga teacher trainings. Why not me? Mm-hmm. And then when I started to study, you know, where yoga originated, you know, um, I remember meeting Yasir from Chicago who had comedic yoga and comedic yoga um, originating from Egypt was in none of the other yoga journal approved uh, things that I studied. And I wondered why not when we know all life originated in Africa, mm-hmm. but now yoga somehow originated in India so I'm excited to go to the pyramids in two weeks and see. Oh my God, I'm dang. so excited. You know, I want to go see for myself because wow. it's it's a big discrepancy that I've been taught um, the last uh, 17 years I've been practicing yoga. And so to learn comedic yoga and to learn the different Ashtanga yoga and just, and like I said, I just like religion, I respect it all, but I also want to know the truth and I want to teach the truth. And I think that's very important for me is to teach the truth, respect it all, teach the truth and follow the path that resonates with you the most. And I think that that's what, that's who I want to be. And that's what I want to teach. So with the discovery of comedic yoga, that would mean that yoga originated in Egypt rather than India. Correct. Wow. Okay. And, and I think really, you know, it happens all the time where, you know, things might gain popularity. I mean, it happens today. Someone might uh, go to a a little hut in in Mexico and they get a great idea for making food a certain way and all of a sudden come back to the States and there's a whole restaurant chain, right? So, you know, that's cultural appropriation. And so, but people don't think of it that way. And they'll think about giving people credit and saying, oh, well, this is where I found this. And, you know, for that reason, I'm going to name this, this, and I'm going to put this in the history. The history of this restaurant was created because I went to this country and I went to this hut and there was this woman, her name. And, you know, that's that's respect and that's not done. It's not done. And I think that's what's so hurtful um, to the culture's all over the world where they have had their their cultures stolen or borrowed or just, you know, stripped. And now it's all of a something, something else. And there are other people that are getting acknowledgement and, you know, it leaves the person that originally had this concept or idea of feeling a little bit cheated, mm. right? And so I think it's important for us as leaders, it's important for me as a leader to really understand history and share history as it is and as I learn it. Mm. So there can be healing, there can be ancestral healing, because once that happens, there's an imprint on our DNA, And there's a karmic debt on both sides that eventually has to come full circle. The more that we educate ourselves, the more we can start to balance out 
um, the karma of the universe. And I do believe once we do that, we will start coming together to different races, the different religions, but we have to start meeting on this level of oneness. We have to start unpacking history and learning the truth. And I think that's going to bring us closer to, to, to oneness and to where we don't feel as separated. Wow. Yeah. I look forward to the time when history is, is accurate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's been such discoveries in the past five, 10, 15, 20 years right. of even history in North America as it relates to civilizations being here way long before any human race that we know of today. And just even in Egypt, like the actual truth behind the pyramids, the actual truth behind the pyramids that live across mm-hmm. the world, there's so much mystical, beautiful information that is out there that is suppressed that I look forward to uncovering. And being a part of a consciousness that is okay with not knowing. And I think for so long we wanted to have answers. So we kind of made them like, oh, you know, they mummified pharaohs because they wanted to preserve the dead, which like isn't really accurate, but people just wanted to have like a box answer for everything and really understand everything as they know it. Um, So I'm really excited for your trip. Thank I'm really you. excited. I'm really excited too. My um my last question is talking about, you know, within the book, and we talked a little bit about this at the event, was um some of the trauma healing that you did. Going through the process of, you know, having I don't know if it was if it was something you thought about for a long time and then had to heal and share, or what was that process like for you? Did you always have you know, something in the back of your mind or in your body that, that was hurtful, that like lived with you or what was exactly your experience like? No, I I wasn't painful. I didn't think I was something that was more shameful and I wish it hadn't happened to me. And I wanted to forget about it and push it away. And, you know, I'm just going to forget about it and pretend like it didn't happen. And, you know, people from my high school still don't know about the assault that happened to me in high school. People in college, I don't ever remember telling people about that. And then, you know, the last um, assault happened just like during me writing my book, you know, from um, via a client. And so when those things happen, my go-to was just getting away, like pretending like it didn't happen. I'm just going to keep working. I'm just going to keep going. Um, But what happens when you stuff things down, you stuff trauma down, it forms different things in your body. It's still coming out in a specific way. You just don't see it, right? So what happened um, during the writing of my book, I wasn't planning on revealing anything. And uh, I remember talking to um, my writer and I'm, I'm a speaker. So I had someone transcribing my words and I love that people say, it feels like you're talking to me. I was like, thank you. I was, <laughs> and it was transcribed. It truly does. Mm-hmm. I, and so I, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on um, writing it. I remember one time I tried and I just got writer's block. I couldn't, I couldn't write. And so um, I remember saying that I'm just going to get this out. I'm just going to say this and we're going to do this like one day at a time. And so I went through the whole, the whole um, scenario and it was so healing just to release and and express it. And it's something that I would share one-on-one with people or I would share my yoga teacher trainings, but it's nothing I ever publicly shared just because I didn't want a pity party. I did feel a lot of shame around it. And I just didn't want to address the emotions that would come up. 
And so I just decided not to. So when I finally, okay, revealed it and and decided, okay, I'm going to include this in the book. Because at first the book was not going to have my personal story. I was just wanted to teach yoga and meditation and all the things. (laughs) And my publisher was like, no, you need to tell your story. They knew my story. I told them, you know, some of my story. They're like, we want to hear your stories. But even then um, the story about my assault was not part of it. You know, that's something that came later as I was telling myself, it was part of it. Mm -hmm. Like even all this time we've been talking, it doesn't come up for me, even still naturally. It's not anything that I naturally um, necessarily just talk about. I could, but it's still something that, you know, if you ask me, I'll talk about it. Otherwise it's something that I don't normally talk about. And so in my sharing, I uh, remember I was at this uh, retreat And um, this lady was sharing how she had disconnected from her body after an assault. And I was sitting there and, you know, being a successful speaker and teacher and coach. And I'm like, yeah, that just happened to me like a couple months ago, but I'm still okay, you know? And I knew I needed to say something. Like I could feel the spirit moving in me. It's like, I can, when I feel that I'm, I'm supposed to say something, I just get this very warm feeling in my body and it just almost starts building up like adrenaline and then things come out. And um, I call these divine downloads and they just download and they come out for myself or for the person, but they just come out. And so I remember saying that, you know, you are not what happened to, to you you are a spiritual being and no matter what happens to your body, nothing can touch your soul. And in that moment, I cried and then I kind of gathered myself and then I told my story and that was my first time sharing it. Um, And I think this happened three months after it actually happened and ended up later, I think a month later, like I had like a cyst, I had to go to the emergency room and they said, you have an air pocket where it looks like a cyst was, but it ruptured. And I remember I was very sick and that's why I had to go. So I Hmm. feel like a cyst was forming from me holding on to that assault. And I did not even know, but I was so happy that I let it, let it go. And now I tell people, you have to reveal it to heal it. Just talk about it. And I want to make sure that I'm holding space for other women and men who have been assaulted to just share your story and know that you are not alone. And it's nothing to feel ashamed about. It's something that someone who assaults another person is sick, you know, and it needs to be talked about and we have to remove the stigma around it. So people do feel comfortable sharing about it. Um, And in that sickness, you can also take on that sickness and you have to share it so that you can go through the healing. Like I had to say, this was very terrible. This is the person who did it. And just go through that radical forgiveness. There's a book called Radical Forgiveness and just go through my whole emotions around the incident instead of just packing it away and saying, you know what, it didn't happen and I'm a boss and I got to move on and I got things to do. Baby girl, I was my, I was helping my aunt heal at a time. She had Parkinson's. I had a yoga teacher training coming. I was like, well, I can't deal with this right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to pretend like it didn't happen. And I don't think I was saying in my mind, I'm going to pretend like it didn't happen. I just didn't have time to address it. And I was just like, uh, I was so disgusted. I was so angry. I was so in shock. I was just like, I can't do, I can't do, I couldn't emotionally deal. But then once I revealed it, then I had to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So then I went through all the grieving and the crying and the unpacking of, you know, okay, this happened. It sucked. 
and you're still amazing. And you can share this story and empower other women who feel like I am detached from my body and I don't want to be here. And now I can speak to these women and say, you know, you deserve to be here. You are not what happened to you. You are what you do every moment after, every single moment after you are choosing to either be defined by that situation or to define yourself. And that's what I've done is just define myself and continue to define myself. So beautiful. And it's so interesting when you said um, that the, the person who did this to you is sick and it's as if, you know, you have that sickness in you, like in you, it's an interesting way to think about it. Like that really resonates and it is about the releasing of it that will allow it to eventually, you know, leave and disperse rather than holding it in. But it is like an energy transfer that you take that on their sickness on. Um, so yeah, that was just so, so beautiful. And how do you think, last question for me, how do you think that it's influencing your work moving forward? Like what changes have you, have you made for the better? I think the biggest changes is learning to talk about like the dark. Um, I think that's something being a, you know, again, a motivational coach and a speaker like you know, and I, even though people are doing it, it, it's, it's, it's different. Cause yeah. I think sometimes, um, it's being done for entertainment and I want to make sure when I'm sharing, it's for healing. Mm. And so it's a very tricky space to step into when you see it being done for different, with different intentions, to be honest. And so it's very, it's actually still something that I struggle with, actually. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't figured that one out. I, I'm still trying to learn to share um, authentically but I do it very well at my yoga teacher trainings and now I'm having book reviews in and I'm able to share this story. But online, I just feel like there's, it's, you know, with Instagram, it's so full uh, of different spaces. Um, I've just found it very challenging. And I also, I don't welcome, sometimes I feel like I've had to learn to be okay with all the different opinions. But when you, when you put something out there like that, you're kind of open up yeah. to like everyone's opinions and everyone's thoughts. And for me, that's a very, that's super vulnerable and I'm not always feeling that open, yeah. <laughs> you know, every single day. That was in, in Brene Brown's Daring Greatly. It talks a lot about vulnerability without like having boundaries with it. Right. And it's not like a boundary, like to protect against vulnerability, but it's being smart about your vulnerability. And that's the thing with sharing something online is that understanding the intention behind is the intention behind healing or is it attention seeking? You know, sometimes, you know, vulnerability can go there on the internet and really just understanding like your boundaries with it, making sure that the person is valid and righteous of your vulnerability, make sure, making sure it's a safe space because it can be very damaging and it could hurt your and hinder your healing if you know that person is not a safe space. And I think there's something really powerful too with speaking to it rather than writing it. You know, I'll share stuff on social media if I have a moment of feeling really inspired and I'll write something, but I definitely believe that 
my power is when I speak to it, you can hear your tone. You can hear the Mm. whole full story and it's way less room for assumptions, way less room for questioning. You can really hear the seriousness and the gravity of the trauma rather than just reading something makes it seem very flippant. It's like a vibration. Yeah. A vibration, especially if it's with a picture, it's like, Mm your picture, how do you depict something? You know, it's just a weird medium. Um, And especially when it's like so quick too, you know, if you're sharing something so deep and heartfelt and it's like scroll, scroll, but I totally, I totally feel that. What are you excited about? What's going on? Let's talk about all the things. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. I'm excited about life because, you know, one chapter in my book is you're not a victim, you're a creator. And I think that, you know, being a creator, it's all about, you know, again, not being attached to your past, not being attached to any events, but creating whatever it is you're passionate about, despite, you know, your upbringing, the cards you were dealt, whatever you have, you can do what you set your mind to. Like, I honestly believe that if you are loving on yourself every single day, if you are you know, doing the things that align you with love, the sky's the limit. Mm. So I've just started to create everything I'm passionate about, the yoga teacher training. Um, so certifying um, women and men all over the world. And then I have retreats. Uh, one coming up is in LA. It's a retreat and a teacher training, 21 days um, in Marina Del Rey, California, where we really dive deep and learn yoga, yoga philosophy, holistic health, plant-based nutrition. And then for New Year's, we are having a manifestation retreat in Bali. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. You guys should come. Come to Bali with me. I would love to. Don't ask me twice. (laughs) I know, honestly. (laughs) December 28th through the 4th, um, that's the Bali. And I just uh, launched my Get Loved Up plant-based protein. Yes, we have some here. It looks so beautiful. Thank you. It looks insane. (laughs) And a lot of people don't understand that it is hard when you travel and you're active Mm. to get all the nutrients that you need in your diet. Um, And especially if you're trying to, you know, do more plant-based. And so I wanted to have something that was great for your digestion, um, nutrient dense, balance your blood sugar. It's organic. It's nut-free. It's gluten-free. It's kosher. I just wanted a The ingredients are super clean. Thank you. Super clean. I just wanted to have a clean really wholesome um, product that people can really take and feel like it's Mm. just balancing everything out. Um, We're all busy, but you have to have um, optimal nutrition to keep going. Mm. And so that's something that I wanted to have, you know, people can just like get on the plane, get off the plane after a workout and they can still feel good and not starve themselves and not go without nutrients. And, you know, having the pea protein and the moringa is going to give people the nutrients that they need to stay balanced and have a balanced blood sugar. So you're not going off on anybody. (laughs) Uh, You know, you're not hangry. And so that's what it's all about. Just helping people um, balance out their day and balance out their diet. Beautiful. So proud of you. Thank you. And then where can they find you on social? You can find me at KoyaWeb.com, KoyaWeb and Get Loved Up on Instagram. Um, Get Loved Up Daily also has its own website, GetLovedUpDaily.com. And now I also have Get Loved Up University where you can get meditation, yoga, chakra work, fitness. We have some yoga and Mm -hmm. HIIT training. So all the things that I teach can be found um, on those websites and on all the social media platforms. Perfect. Perfect. And if you don't have, you don't have to have money. Like we have free classes on YouTube. Um, and then most things you can write in for a scholarship. 
Mm. I love that about your programs. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. You're the best. Thank you for having me. We'll see you guys later. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thanks so much, Koya, for joining us. We always have a blast hanging with you. We're so excited for everything coming up for you. Her new book is available now. Let your fears make you fierce and you can get support and all of her get loved up resources at koyaweb.com. K-O-Y-A-W-E-B-B. Yes. Thank you so much, Koya. Your podcast pro is out and available for you to join. There are just a few days and registration will be closed. And if you register during this two week window, then you get extra calls with Lindsay and I, and you get amazing bonuses within the program. So we are so excited to support you guys in launching your podcast, yourpodcastpro.com and join our retreat. Malibu and May, Calamigos Ranch. You can go to almost30podcast.com slash retreat. Love you guys. Thanks so much for your support. And if you want to connect with us, we are on Instagram at almost30podcast. I'm at Lindsay Simsick and Krista is at it's Krista. Can't wait to chat with you. We love you. We'll see you next time. See you soon.